we've been walking through this, uh, the, the books of, uh, to the Corinthian church, the letters to the Corinthian church in First and Second Corinthians. And um, we've talked about how this city of Corinth was a lot like the country that we live in today. The culture was very, very similar. Like, so, like the same things that they faced, we faced. And as this church was getting started, just like we're getting started, Paul's trying to establish some healthy things for them to do as a church. And we, we've talked about several issues that the church had, and thankfully we don't have them, uh, but the church has. But there's stuff that we need to be aware of so that as we build our church, as we uh, grow together and into what God has created us to be, uh, we can look out for these things. And these are some of the things that Paul addressed. The first thing that he addressed was the divisions that were caused by following man. And we talked about this in, in, in that, that weekend. And, and so uh, in our culture today, it's a lot of it's about who do you support? Who do you not support? Who's your favorite author? Who's not your favorite author? Who do you like on TV? Who do you not like on TV? Who's your politician? Who's not your politician? And there's these divisions that come in. And because of those divisions, that can actually creep into the church and cause a lot of conflict. He says that we have to identify under the cross and under the leadership of Christ. So if you're going to identify as something, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, I'm an ASU fan or I'm a U of A fan or I'm from California or I'm from the South or I'm from the Midwest or, or I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat. If you're going to identify as something as a Christian, identify as someone who's under the cross. Identify as Christ-centered first. And so this is what Paul was talking about there. We talked about spiritual authority, sexual purity, comparing ourselves to other people. And last week, we talked about the topic of meat being sacrificed to idols. That's not really what we talked about. That's what the, 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 the topic that he was talking about. But the issue that Paul was talking about that was underneath that is that we shouldn't be uh, so judgmental of other people that that causes us conflict with them. We, we should limit our, our, our love. It, it, it causes us to limit things in our lives. Love is unlimited. Many parents, how many parents in the room have more than one kid, right? You have more than one kid. Did you have the fear when your second child was born, am I going to be able to love this kid like I do the first one? Did you have that fear? Some people are like, that's a real fear. Like, I am scared that I'm not going to be able to love this next child like I loved my first one. But really, it, uh, parents with multiple children, you know that it doesn't work like that. Love is not like a pizza that we divide, right? And somebody's going to end up wanting another piece and there's not going to be enough left. Love gets multiplied. The more people you love, the more people that, that you love in your life, the more your capacity for love grows. And so last week we talked about how love is unlimited, but love creates limits. Love creates limits. Love binds my own freedom to do whatever I want to do. It, it stops me from doing that, and it causes me to intentionally limit myself so I can benefit other people. In 1 Corinthians 10, 23, we read this last week, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. In 9.22, he says this, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. So in areas where I could exercise my freedom, but that freedom would cause someone else to stumble, love compels me to limit my freedom. In areas where I have conviction, that's different than confession of sin, it's different from sin, this is like an opinion that I hold, 
Um, you, you, gotta, you can listen to last week's message for the difference. I'm not going to get into that. You just listen to it online. It's all there, right? In areas where I have conviction, love compels me to limit my judgment that I have over others. Love is unlimited, but love creates limits. And all of this kind of creates this backdrop. It's this, this, these subjects that he's bringing in into this letter of we're going to talk about this, and then we're going to talk about this, and we're going to talk about this. And they all weave together to form this idea that Paul's writing to the Corinthian church that, guys, it's not about you. It's not about you and what you think and what you want to do and you getting ahead of other people. And, and you. This is all about Jesus. This is the backdrop that Paul is painting. And and what we have now um, in in First Corinthians is is uh, is the letter that was given to us and the the one that we look at today. It's split up into chapters into sections in your Bible. You know, you see, you know, where it talks about you know um, loving your enemies, or it talks about how to do this. And you see the section title in your Bible, and then it talks about chapters and things like that and verses. But that's not how he wrote the letter. It was a letter. It, it had all these trains of thoughts and things happening. And so when we're trying to discover what the Bible means to us we can't just take a passage out of its context and apply it to an argument that we're trying to win right so if you have a disagreement with somebody you have a conflict with someone you can't just go and say well this says this here I'm not going to read what the rest of it says in that chapter. I'm not going to read the whole book. I'm not going to read other parts of it. But I'm going to take just what this says here and I'm going to apply this to my argument so that I can win. You can't do that. So if you do that, then there's a high likelihood that you're going to be interpreting the passage incorrectly. And if you interpret the passage incorrectly and you use it as a hammer to beat others over the head with, there's a high likelihood that that person that you're arguing with will not only reject your premise, but they also may reject the scripture that you twisted to make your point. And that's kind of the backdrop that we're looking at when we're looking at our passage today in 1 Corinthians 11. Jesus says this in, in uh, Matthew 22, verse 36. They ask him, you know, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And he says, you shall love you, the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. So if your interpretation of the Bible isn't driving you towards love, then you're doing it wrong. If your interpretation of the Bible is not driving you towards love, then you're doing it wrong. You shall love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. That's what he says the first. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two things that Jesus clearly tells us that the Bible is summed up into. Right, And so if there's something that I interpret or something that I take from this and, and, and it doesn't drive me to love, it doesn't drive me to serve, it doesn't drive me to, to, to lay my own life down for my, my friend or my neighbor or my coworker or my spouse or whatever it is, if it doesn't drive me to that, then I might be interpreting the passage wrong. Sin, the overarching title that we give to destructive behavior in our life, can simply be seen as anything that works against those two points of loving God with all you are and loving your neighbor as yourself. 
In the kingdom where there is only one throne, and we are a part of that kingdom, God's kingdom, there is only one throne. Therefore, if I place myself into that throne, seeking my own wants, my own needs, my own lusts, my own desires, and thinking that my opinion or my point of view is always correct, and God should change his to be subject to mine, guess what? I'm placing myself in God's rightful seat. And so I have broken that first command to love God with all that I am. Not only is any action that results from this this coup or this takeover of God's throne, any action that results from that is its sin, but also the attitude that got me there itself. And so as when we love God with all that we are, we love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus said that greater love has no man than this than someone who lays down his life for his friends. Love compels us to lay aside our enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, and so on. I actually pulled that out of Galatians chapter 5, by the way. That little list. Love compels us to serve one another, laying down our lives and our desires to benefit our neighbor. And it's against this backdrop that we look at today one of the more contested passages in the whole of the New Testament. We look at this passage where people have all these ideas and they have all these thoughts about how things should be and how things ought to operate and, and, and where they should be in control and others should not. And, and, and they look at that and they use this passage to kind of justify their opinions. But as we read, we can't do that. We have to see what the Bible actually says. All of it. Uh, Liz and I, uh, Liz is on a, a ministry rotation uh, in the back with the kids, and she's with us today. And I joked with her uh, yesterday. We were riding in the car, and I was like, I'm glad you're here with us today because I'm going to talk about um, wives submitting to their husbands. And she goes, good, as long as you talk about husbands submitting to their wives too. Right? <laughs> and so like, that's just part of it. You know, it gets contested. It gets hot. It gets weird. Right? And so this is part of the passage that we're going to talk today. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 11, 20, uh, 2 through 16. This passage has been used for centuries for small men to justify their chauvinism. But as we look at the text, you can see how uh, really that's just kind of taken out, out of its own context. And I'm going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read the whole passage, verse uh, uh, 2 through 16, and then we're going to break it apart and we're going to talk about it. You guys ready? Let's do this. All right. Now I commend you. This is verse 2, chapter 11. Now I commend you uh, because you remembered me and everything that, uh, and maintained the traditions even as I de- delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the wife is her husband. And, and, and the head of Christ is God. Even men who... Even every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Since it is uh, the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But, it's, but since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut her hair short, uh, to cut off her hair or shave her head, uh, let, her, let her cover her head. For a man ought to not cover his head, since he is in the image of God, but a woman is the glory of man. For uh, man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That this is that is why wives should ought to have a symbol of authority uh, on her head because of the angels. Again, this is getting like, what is he talking about here? What is he saying? What is he saying to us? Nevertheless, let's keep going. 
Nevertheless, we're going to break it down. In the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so now man is born of woman. And all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that a man who wears long hair is a disgrace for him? But if a woman wears long hair, it's her glory. For her hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Now, men have taken this passage out of its context for centuries to justify chauvinism to justify this sexism however we need to understand where this strife between men and women come from is it biblical is it biblical that 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 a man wants to dominate the relationship that a woman wants to be contentious in a relationship is that biblical it actually is biblical that 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 happens but we need to look at where that comes from after the fall, Adam and Eve, when sin, were, when sin was introduced to the world, God says this to Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, he says, To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you will bring forth children. And then he says this, Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So we see the conflict, the enmity, the strife, the sexism, the, the conflict that we see between men and women. This was not God's original intention. It did not exist in creation until inter, uh, sin was introduced. Therefore, gentlemen, if you want to biblically justify sexism, then you have to acknowledge that if we're justifying it, it's because of our own sin. Sin is where it comes in. Right? So really, it's a sin. It's sin that introduces it. And ladies, contrarianism, that means if every point, I gotta have something else to say about it. You know, you can't just make a point and I say, you know, hey, that's good. Pizza's good. Well, actually, pizza's, you know, no, 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 I can do that. Does anybody do that in their relationships and their things? I told my daughter one time, I think I've told you guys this before. I told my daughter, my 14 year daughter, I'm like, Kaylin, the more sentences you start with the word actually, the less friends you're gonna have right? Like you don't need to start so many sentences correcting someone else. And we see here as a consequence of the fall, man will rule over woman. That's not something that's a good thing, right? That wasn't there to begin with. He shall rule over you, but your desire, woman, will be contrary to your husband. So we see this like conflict of this always just trying to overpower one another in the relationship. This is a consequence of sin in our lives. This is the result of the fall. And so we, we see that, that, that originally, like there was man, there was woman. They were different, but they were both equal. They had equal access to God. They had equal access to everything. And so some of you guys might think, well, doesn't, doesn't 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 and 12 say that, that um, you know, men should, or women should stay quiet and that, that they should be submissive and not teach? Well, yeah, it does. But if you got to look at what it says actually here is that like, if we look at what Paul says, Paul's talking about the technical definition of teaching right? The technical definition of teaching. And if you look at Paul, Paul was uh, trained in the highest level of training that you could possibly get. 
the highest level of training, the highest level of, of, of seminary, the highest level of, of training under the Pharisees. He was trained at that level. And then he took that and he, he's trying to teach the church now with the training that he got. Guess what? That training in those days was not available to women. And so when Paul says, guys, in, 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 in uh, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, he says, guys, don't, uh, don't, women, you need to stay quiet. You need to be submissive. You need to understand that he's talking to a set of women who didn't have the access to the education that they could use to be good instructors of the gospel. So is it good that we should use this verse to keep women out of ministry? Absolutely not. Thank God that we fixed it in the church. Women now can go and they can learn and they can study and they can, they can grow. When we study our Bibles, you have to understand that a lot of times in Scripture, there's a prescriptive thing, right? This is how it always should be. Your doctor says you should, you know, stop eating red meat all the time. You should take a walk every now and then. You need to sleep a little bit better. You need to take this medication. The doctor's telling you how things should be, right? There's also an interpretation where it's descriptive. We're talking about this situation right here. In this situation in the church at Ephesus that Tim, Timothy's leading, women didn't have access to the, to the ministry that they needed, that, or to the to education they, they needed. And so when they were trying to teach others, they just didn't know. And so now we understand that this is not prescriptive all the time. It's just descriptive of the situation that it was in. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Verse 3, it says this, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. When we hear this word head, we immediately think hierarchy. But remember that sexism is a result of the fall. So it's not that black and white. A guy named Cyril of Alexandria, he died in 444. So this is an old dude, right? He's been around for quite a while. He's one of the early church fathers he looked at this passage and he said this. He goes, let's look at everything that Paul said here. And at verse 8 and 9, For man was not made from woman, but woman for man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. And he understood head here to be an illusion, not an illusion, Mike, not an illusion, but illusion, like he's describing to it, right? right so it was an illusion to creation, so the head of this, the head of that, it was an allusion to creation. For, uh, and then 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul talks about, or chapter 15, later in this book, Paul talks about how uh, for one man came, through one man came through death, but by man has come, uh, by a man, this is Jesus, has come also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so as in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ is the first fruits. Christ is the first one. Then uh, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And so it's, it's this, this order of creation that Paul is talking about here when he talks about how Christ is the head of every man. We see in Genesis chapter 2 how uh, God took chapter 2, verse 18 through 22, how God created uh, Eve out of Adam's rib. And so God created man, and he said, it's not good for man to be alone. Guys, you, you can't handle it on your own. You're not good enough on, by yourself. So if you want to be arrogant and hot-headed, and it's got to be your way or the highway, God already looked at a situation like that, and he said, it's not good for man to be alone. 
right? And so he, he created Eve. He caused uh, Adam to fall under a deep sleep. This is verse 21 in Genesis chapter 2. And, and he, uh, as he was asleep, as God gave Adam divine anesthesia, he took one of his ribs, he closed it up, and from that rib he formed woman. And so Cyril says this. He says, thus we say that the head of every man is Christ because he was made excellent through him. And the head of every woman is man because she was taken out of his flesh. Likewise, the head of Christ is God because he is from him according to nature. Thus, the headship of man in this passage is a source of woman, not one of authority and submission. To men in here individually, this means headship is a source. None of us here literally have given a piece of ourselves, like when Liz and I got married, I did not literally take out a rib so Liz could be here today. That didn't happen, happen, right? But I, I hadn't done that. But when we're talking about this order that Paul's describing here, he reminds us that that is how the relationship was originally formed. And so men, when he's talking about how the husband is the head of the wife, we should be reminded that that's how that would that happen. And so what I need to do as a husband to have a healthy home and a healthy thing, I need to be constantly giving out pieces of me. This is not for me to dominate and domineer and it's my way or the highway and everybody's got to do what I got to do and everybody's got to tiptoe around dad and make sure dad's happy all the time. And if dad's not happy, nobody's happy. It's not supposed to be like that. You're literally, as a man, supposed to give away yourself for the benefit of your spouse. Give away your life. Lay your life down. If it's a piece of me that they need, they're going to get a piece of me. This is what it means. It doesn't mean that I am special. It means that I actually have been called to serve. In complete love and humility, we should be constantly giving away ourselves for the benefits of our family men. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 26 through 28, you, uh, it shall be among you. Whomever would be great among you must be a servant. But whoever among you, uh, whoever would be first among you, must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Paul continues in the passage with instructions on hairstyles and head coverings and things like that. That women should cover their hair and men should not. And it seems uh, that in the passage, as we read this passage in First Corinthians 11, that like there were men who were like dressing like women and women who were dressing like men. And there's this weird thing that happened. But I would just offer this really, really simple interpretation of what was going on here in First Corinthians as we're reading it today. It's this. In Romans 16, Paul greets 27 of the church leaders. 27 leaders. If you read it, Romans 16, he's greeting 27 of the leaders. Of those leaders... How many of you think if Paul, you know, everybody, you know, everything in church and men versus women and all this stuff. How many of you think of the 27 leaders that Paul greeted were women? How many do you think? You think it was none? No. A third, over a third of those people were women. Of the 27 people that Paul greeted as leaders of the church in Romans uh, chapter 16, 
10 were women. Over one-third were women. And so we can immediately throw out the idea that as Paul's talking here, that he's trying to be sexist and that ministry is a, man game, a man's game and women should just be spectators. We can immediately throw that out, even though it's sad that this thought actually still exists. There's a word that I want to teach you today, and it's just, it's just a really simple word. And it's called egalitarian. And what that means is that men and women are equal and deserve equal rights and opportunity. I believe that God can use both of us for his glory. Remember, conflict is a result of the fall. This idea of men needing to dominate women or women needing to dominate men, women, you having this thought that I've always got to fight for a voice, I've always got to try to fight to have my opinion heard, I've always got to fight for that, that is a result of the fall. And so if we're going to be a church that says, you know what, we're not going to live under sin, we're going to live under freedom, then guess what, we have to say, we're not going to say, because of the result of the fall, we're not going to just continue these cycles of things. And so, ladies, you have something to bring in ministry. You have something to give. You have something to offer. You have something to bring to the table. You have something to to minister to other people and to lead in the church and serve in the church and teach the gospel and train up people. You can do this in ministry. There is none of us that are meant to sit on the sidelines. God can and will powerfully use anyone for his glory. But what he says in uh, 11 uh, 11 and 12, But in the Lord, woman is not independent from man, nor man from woman. For woman was made for man, but now man is born of woman. And all these things are from God. We are dependent, men and women, on one another. Therefore, men, you need the women in your life. Women, you need the men in your life. We're not independent of one another. 1 Corinthians 11, it reminds us that we're not independent. There is is this opportunity. There's opportunities for all of us. There's opportunities to pray, to minister, to love. There's like this egalitarian uh, thing. But it also reminds us that we're not interchangeable. We're not trying to make men become women or women to become men. Men, be who God created you to be. You do not have to become like a woman to minister the gospel. And women, likewise, be who God created you to be. You do not have to become like a man to minister. Equal opportunity does not mean interchangeable. God wants to free us to be who he created us to be. As we talk about this, so many of us in church have been hurt by someone else just because of who we are. So many of us, so many people have been hurt by the opposite sex. Maybe it was a pastor who, who, who hurt you. Maybe, maybe it was a, maybe men, you had a, a mom that was very controlling and domineering. Maybe women, you had a, 
someone, a, a, a ex-husband who was just mean to you or a father who was a drunk and beat you, you are hurt by the opposite sex. And what happens is, is we carry this conflict with us the rest of our lives. Have you ever met someone who just thinks all men are bad? Have you ever met someone who just thinks all women are, are just like constantly doing that? And so what, but because of that, we carry this and what we have to identify is that, guys, that's not how we're supposed to live. Jesus said, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. Don't let this division between men and women come into the church. Realize that we have gifts. My wife is a gift to me. I hope I'm a gift to her. Most days, right? Most days. But that's how it's supposed to be. So this idea of we're always trying to dominate the other person, always trying to domineer the other person, it's not meant to be.